Hey everyone, it is Amber Love and welcome to Vodka Talk Podcast. And of course, you can uh, always find me at amberunmasked.com. So you might be finding me through iTunes or Stitcher right now. But uh, however you got here, welcome aboard. And joining me today is a return guest, Eric Rubin, who's a lawyer and literary agent. He is going to enlighten us into all of the wonderful news of the literary world. And we're going to sort of do like a little Ask Agent, which is a hashtag on Twitter. So uh, if you've ever been curious about things that you want to ask publishing agents, it's sort of like a general thing, depending who's around, who's doing their Ask Agent uh, use that hashtag, and you might find an agent who will respond to you. So, Eric, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Amber. It's always yeah, a well, thanks for being here while you're even sort of under the weather. <laughs> we can. T- oh, we're going to tell people. That's fine. I just had oral surgery and I'm, uh, on medication that will uh, either make this more interesting, or you might hear snoring on the line. We'll see what happens. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll just be my usual gregarious self. That's good. That, I mean, because I know, like, just feeling feeling blah at all in any capacity, you might not, your brain might not really give a shit and want to be here right now. So I appreciate <laughs> it. No, you know what? I'm anyone who knows me knows I love nothing more than hanging out and talking, uh, usually about myself. So this is great. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> great. That's good. So. Um, uh, since we were just talking about Ask Agent on Twitter, where can uh, people find you on Twitter? What's your handle oh, there? Oh, thanks. My handle is Ruben Agency. That's R-U-B-E-N Agency, A-G-E-N-C-Y. you got to make sure they spell Ruben right. It's not like the sandwich. Right. There's one less E. Um, yeah, that's pretty much... I'm there probably more often than I should be. Oh. <laughs> I am there a lot. And now I, I know that on your website you have a very specific page that's like submission guidelines here. Uh, yes, I do. Um, and I know every agent does, but we're going to run th- through some of that stuff, some of the basic stuff anyway. Just um, well, yeah. Can I just say this? That's a great idea because even if nobody wants to uh, submit to me, uh, you'd be amazed how many people disregard my rules or other people's rules. And then they wonder why they don't get taken seriously or why their submission gets deleted. They need to do a little research into each agent that they are submitting to. I know it takes an extra couple of minutes, but if you send out your blanket query to 3,000 agents, you're, you're going to be incredibly disappointed with the results. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, smart. We, yeah, so let's go over it. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's that's exactly the sort of stuff that I wanted to touch upon. Um, because I can't remember who else. Uh, I, I don't know, but I was on the Ask Agent yesterday, and somebody was uh, tweeting away. And so I popped over to her, to her website just to see what it looked like and stuff. And this is like the very same thing. You know, it's got a do's and a don'ts thing. And it's a, you know, don't give up. Do finish your book. <laughs> <laughs> they're nicer than I am. I don't say don't give up. I think there are some people who should give up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that may sound mean, but I got to tell you, like, uh, you know, some people shouldn't be in show business. That's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, see, I, the medication kicked in, and now I'm telling the truth. This is not good. 
Oh, see, I didn't even need to break out my magic lasso. <laughs> I always suspected who you really were. Yes, see, it's, it's my open secret, you know. Uh, it, nothing's a secret anymore with uh, Google. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I understand that. Alright, anyway, sorry, so go ahead. So anyway, so let's talk about things that you do uh, cover um, with your specific agency because from what I checked out, I and I know obviously if anybody missed the previous episode where you were on, we talked about how you represent romance writers and some erotica fiction writers and um, that sort of stuff. Let's face it, it's been around forever. It gets kind of a bad rap. Um you know, especially by very conservative religious folks, some of this stuff gets a bad rap, and I find that interesting since the Bible has a very, very steamy section. Yeah, well, first of all, I, okay, well, let's just go here. The conservative Bible people amuse me because they know nothing about the Bible, or they cherry-pick the Bible, or they completely misunderstand, in my opinion, the Bible. And I think that, um, wow, I'm going to go there. I think that they also make the assumption that the Bible it was written by God when I think we can all know it wasn't. And it was written by a bunch of old Jews. Um, <laughs> and being an almost old Jew, I can tell you sometimes they get things wrong or have a point of view that they put into the book. And there are other books, by the way, that other people think hold some important truths in them. So I, it's an incredibly ethnocentric way to live, and I'm not a big fan of discounting other people's beliefs wholeheartedly. Um, but I think that that's something, unfortunately, some of these people do. So if you came to them and said, well, you know, I was reading the Bhagavad Gita, and, you know, uh, they can't even have that conversation. Or I looked at the Koran, and... They can't have that conversation. So, you know, I I have very little patience for the Bible people, and especially, you know, the Bible people who have no idea that, you know, Jesus was really this very dark-skinned uh, liberal Jew. Right. <laughs> they just don't yeah. have time for yeah, that. Yeah, Jesus would have helped the poor. Yeah, and I know you don't want to get all political, but, you know, Jesus would not be a Republican. You know, Michelle Bachman... I'm sorry, but you and your gay husband are just getting it wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I said that out loud. No, that came out out loud. Oh, there's going to be a lot of that. Good, awesome. But, I mean, because even, like, thinking back, like, before, you know, most of the populace could read, there were paintings, there's always been expressions of how we tell stories, and there's always been erotica. And, you know, especially, like, if you go back to some, um, I can't remember now, I think it was Japan. Some of the, the oh, paintings sure. there were very... There's, I mean, you go to the Kama Sutra, of course, from... Um, that's more... Is that Persian or... Shoot, I should know that, right? But even yeah. K-Fang... I mean, if you go back to ancient Greece and ancient Rome, there's tons of erotica. I mean, I actually studied ancient Greek in college, and what's funny is the original comedies um, of... Oh, crap, now I'm completely blanking, but he wrote The Frogs and The Birds. This really body humor. I mean, a lot of fart jokes and screen jokes. and So, you know, the reason that they call them the classics, uh, whatever they are, is because they are still true today, those stories, you know. And um, so very little has changed. You know, there were, I once had a book years ago of graffiti. 
And there's sort of toilet or the equivalent of toilet graffiti from Greece and ancient Rome and colonial times. And they're all still basically saying, in a nutshell, for a good time, see somebody or whatever. You know. <laughs> and, and pictures of penises and vaginas. And right, before they all had to be covered up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, I think it comes down to shame, and shame is a really crappy thing. I don't think shame ever really helped anybody. Um, wow, we're gonna we're going to weird places. But in, in any event, what I mean? Isn't that awesome. That's well, awesome. yeah, but uh, you know, let me turn it a little bit. You're, you're, we're talking about erotica, and I, I also want to say LGBT because I think actually the major growth area, in my opinion, is going to be more LGBT. Yeah. Which ha- erotica and LGBT, what they have in common is it's love that you know it's it's stories of love that people really want to read and they for some reason there is some kind of guilt or taboo in our society about these stories and when I'm talking about erotica by the way I'm not even talking about BDSM or some of the other things that are a little more boutique if you will or a little more uh, ghettoized for some people I'm just talking about straight up erotica uh, where there are sexy stories they're not porn because they're relationships, you know? And More like what we think of, like, the Harlequin, you know? Well, it's, it's more like actual sexual experiences between two people who are in relationship. And, you know, you and I wouldn't be here if a couple of people didn't have sex. Right. It's not like you and I invented sex. And I'm, uh, you know, it's not like you and I are... If I did, I would have... We are, but... I, I, I would have, um, yeah, I, I would have contacted you for, like, copyright trademark information <laughs> and... Been well, we make a killing, because you know what? A lot of people really like sex. Yeah. I don't know I don't know why people are in such big denial about it, but um, I get such big mixed messages about it, too. You know, it's like... You look at TV, and there's all these ads filled with sexy women, right? And then, like, we, we somehow, uh, it's mostly sexy women. There's sexy guys now, too. And then people freak out about it. Like, oh, oh that, that ad with the guy with the salad dressing? So there's this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's too hairy for me. I don't like super furry guys. But, you know, he's clearly strong and built or whatever. And it's like, people want to see that. I mean, most people do. But... The fireman's calendar just came out, so... Right, but people also get freaked out about how much they want to see it. You know, I, I have a couple of friends who are always talking about our prudish nature. But even people like you and I, Amber, who I think would be fairly in art, fairly open about sexuality, still have a bit of prudishness in us because of societal pressure. Oh, of course, I totally do. Yeah. And I, I so... You know, there's a lot of um, cognitive dissonance. People are t- probably freaking out. Their heads are exploding right now by the fact that I've said that. It's like, yes, I'm a nude model, and I do have a certain level of prudishness. Right, and I mean, I'm not going to ask you a million questions and press the envelope to see, push the envelope, excuse me, to see where your limits are. But, you know, there's, you, know, you see that on one hand, you know. Um, but, well, let me make this more about industry so people are like, what the hell are we listening to? Can like, <laughs> an apen talking about sexuality? Well, you know, the, the reason that LGBT and erotica are doing so well is because of a technological shift. And that's because when ebooks came along, let me back up a second. 
Say I'm a gay kid growing up in Wichita, Kansas. Well, first of all, feel bad for me because damn. Because you're screwed. Because I'm totally screwed and not in a happy, fun way. Right. So there I am. I'm a power bottom living in Wichita, and I want you know <laughs> I want to read about somebody like me. Even they don't have to be, you know, it doesn't even have to be sexual. They just have to be living a life like me. So you know, if I'm lucky enough to go to New York or San Francisco and go to a special bookstore and I can get I'm not talking about porn, remember. I'm talking about just books about gay people. Right. So there used to be this great bookstore in New York called the Oscar Wilde Bookstore. And, um, you know, stores where you could get books that had love stories about two men that loved each other. I know, shocking, but I actually know some of these men in real life. They actually have relationships. Some of them have been together for 20 years, like, oh, I don't know, quote-unquote normal people. All right. right. So I'm so, and I know there's plenty of women in relationships like that, too, blah, blah, blah. All right, so, so you're this kid from Wichita, and you want to do that, so you come to New York once in a while, you buy your books, and you pray to God nobody finds your books, right? Well, what happens when e-books happen? You get your Nook or your Kindle, and you go online, and you go, and you download this book. Now, you bought this book, and nobody knows you bought it. Nobody ever has to know you bought it. And you read it on your e-reader while you're commuting. Do they commute in Wichita on a bus? I don't know. But let's say <laughs> let's move you to somewhere where you commute. You know, like it's Cincinnati, which is also conservative but more urban. All right, so you're there and you're on the bus. All anybody knows is you're reading a Kindle. They don't know that Ken and Roger are making out, you know, and um, or not even making out, maybe talking about someday, one day, they hope that they can get married. But, you know... That's a whole other story. So we've had that technological shift. It, it's really helped people like the kid in Wichita or, you know, Cincinnati. Um, it's hurt stores like the Oscar Wilde bookstore because, you know, gay guys living in New York, they don't give a crap about who knows what they read or don't read, and they're not going to the Oscar Wilde bookstore. That's really a tourist destination. So that store closed. Actually, I was in that store a couple of weeks before it closed, and spoke with uh, one of the owners there and that's how I found out that um, ebooks kind of hurt them uh, because they were no longer really a tourist destination anymore but that's a trade off I think a lot of us are okay with because you can get books to people who really want to get them um, that's what apparently you know the even though Fifty Shades of Grey you know, sold a bajillion copies or whatever, even in regular print copies. The the news coverage that I saw, they really were talking about the iPads and Kindles and stuff because right. they're like, because I can sit there and read this on the subway. And that's exactly right. what they said. They're like, nobody knows that I'm reading mommy porn. And I don't know why they right. call it mommy porn. I don't know if the girl in the <laughs> book I was hear, a mommy. I have no idea. I, when I hear mommy porn, I'm like, I think of something completely different. I yeah, I do too. I'm like, um, but, you know, there's a lot more BDSM out there and a lot better BDSM than that. And I don't know if people want recommendations from me. There's a series called The Marketplace, I believe, which was one of the first things that I read that is pretty amazing. And um, anyway, I don't want to digress too much. But, the, you know, to back up a little bit, um, my philosophy on publishing is that it's just one piece of another piece of show business. There seems to have been, when I came into publishing, there seemed to be this 
sort of ideal that publishing was above the rest of show business. Somehow it was more intellectual uh, or had some type of bigger value, more academic, whatever. But the truth is publishing is show business. It's entertainment, and I think that it's just constantly proven over time, and it continues to be proven. Um, and I think the technological shifts have really impacted all of show business. Um, a great example of that, and by the way, you should interrupt me anytime because I'm just going to talk all I, the I'll, time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but in any event, um, Netflix. Netflix has a whole bunch of Emmy nominations. For people who have been living under a rock for the last decade, <laughs> Netflix used to be a place where you could rent DVDs and online. And they mailed them to you. <laughs> and for a while, when I lived in New York off and on, when I was acting professionally, I'd get, you know, be running off to an audition, and everybody would be leaving my building, and they'd all have red envelopes, and they'd be yeah. dropping them in the uh, mailboxes. And it was amazing. It was like every New Yorker was on Netflix. And so all the little rental places disappeared. All right, and then you came to streaming, which is when, for those of you who don't know, you don't get the DVDs in the mail. You just, like, put it on your computer or through some kind of device into your television, and you literally get a stream from their main server to where you are, and that's how you watch it. Now, Emmys are the awards that people give to TV shows, the Academy for Television or whatever it's called, and used to be the only people who'd be up for Emmys were on what was called network television. Now, Amber, since you're 12 years old or so, oh, you yeah. don't remember a time when there wasn't cable, but I yeah, do. I do. And cable came along, and then there were only, like, HBO came, and suddenly you had The Sopranos, so there was sex and uh, violence. violence and cursing, yeah. and all of a sudden the only people who were getting... Emmy nods were, you know, Sex in the City and The Sopranos, you know, that stuff, and then occasionally a network. Then you had basic cable, so you have Mad Men, right? And they got some Emmys. Well, now Netflix has, is getting Emmys, and the thing that's amazing about the fact that Netflix is getting Emmys is, dig this, you have a television award going to a show that technically never oh, has to appear on television. I didn't exactly. even realize they were nominated for Emmys. Like for oh, a ton for... It's like House of Cards and stuff. Yeah. And I think Orange is the New Black, which I can't recommend enough to you. Those two shows are kind of amazing. And they are no longer like every week you have to wait and then you get to see it. You can glom, I guess is the right word, or maybe there's a different word. You can see the whole season in a sitting if you can do oh, that. Oh, yeah, I marathon the shit out of everything. But right. I'm just 10 years behind, so you know, that's when I will watch House of Cards is 10 years from now, because I tried watching yeah. it, and I, I didn't dig it. But, uh, um, I'll, tell you why, I'll tell you why you didn't dig it, because the first couple episodes aren't that good. Oh, okay. But, but you I'm, need to, well, because, you know, you have Kevin, <laughs> uh, this spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Kevin Spacey is amazing they have this conceit where he's talking to the camera. And it feels kind of old-fashioned, very Richard III, you know, when Richard III does a sides to the audience about, oh, by the way, I'm an evil asshole. So um, it feels very much like that, and it started to bug me, but I, I powered through it. By the time I got to the third or fourth episode, I was really into it, and I'll tell you this, as great as Kevin Spacey is, the real star of that show is Robin Wright. Her character is fucked up. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, pretty intense. I, I found that show compelling, and it had moments where 
I thought I knew where it was going, and it said, uh-uh, Eric, you're not that smart. And I was like, holy shit. So there was some very good stuff going on. With the Orange is the New Black, They first of all, there's like a zillion great women actresses working. It's who, an amazing who, cast, even though, I, like, I, again, I, I didn't really, like, dig the show that much. But, I mean... At least they do introduce bisexuality, and they do introduce things that were just, you know... Bisexuality, that's bad and wrong. I know, isn't it? It's terrible. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to be burned at the stake. It's bad and wrong if you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, it's it's just amazing that lightning has not struck me down by this point. Well, I don't want to talk about your personal sex life uh, anymore. <laughs> there isn't one. That's fine. Well, as much as we have time for Um... <laughs> And that's, you know, what's great, about, actually what's great about that show is dealing with that issue. Um, and it's, well, here's another thing. A, a lot of these shows on cable and now because of ebooks, we're now starting to tackle issues in entertainment that we couldn't before. Um, and sexuality is a really interesting subject, not because, first of all, oh, it's, you know, exciting, but it is, in, like, everyone with few exceptions, is a very sexual being, whether they want to admit to it or not. And whether you're in a relationship or not, you have a sexual identity. Even people who, you know, I'm, I have very close friends who are genderqueer. We can talk about it if you want to, meaning that they don't fit within the binary of are they male or female, or, you know, you, are you gay, are you straight, are you bi, there's pansexuality. I mean, all these issues start to get addressed by these and people are interested. It's no longer like, oh, that's not okay to talk about. And then you have to go home and feel like you're a pervert and there's no place for you when you actually are fine and there's nothing wrong with you. And maybe we can spend more time dealing with real issues, you know, like how to solve real problems and not worry about, you know, oh, I don't know, who's Amber dating? You no, know, well, that's Amber's life. That's her business, not yours. <laughs> um, wow. I've, I've got the ADD thing going here. Uh, but, you know, but what's funny, though, talking about television and entertainment and, uh, you know, whether it's whether it's books, but specifically I was thinking of television because we were just talking about it. Back in, I don't remember if it was the 70s or 80s, but didn't Soap have Billy Crystal yeah. as a gay character? Right, and the problem, like when you're first starting out, and he was, the, he was probably the first really openly gay character. I mean, people can look that up to confirm if that's really true. That's in my memory, that's what's so. You know, they, they have him... T there's a lot of weight on you when you're the first. Like, they have to deal with all the gays. Like, does he have to cross-dress? And does he have to, you know, like... Does he have to like bears and twinks? And, like, <laughs> like you know, oh, my God, it's exhausting. It's like, there's no one gay guy. You know, like, and all the pressure is on him. You know, when I saw Ellen one time doing stand-up, you know, she started to, she did a thing about, like, and I'm not going to do just gay stuff because, you know, I'm more than that. And she even joked about it, like, oh, no, who do we follow now? You know, like, <laughs> well, like, there's a lot of different kinds of lesbians, you know, as many as there are lesbians. And I, like, you know, it's such an old, horrific, you know, which one of you is the guy? Well, like, you ever seen the point where lesbians, neither of us is the guy. Um, it, it's just people, 
Yeah, I can't, don't, ask me, don't ask me to do your plumbing of any kind yeah, or no, fix your I car. Just, right, right. But it, it comes <laughs> down to, and this will come back to entertainment for people who are listening and like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> it's about categories and judgments and putting people in boxes, you know? And they want to figure out, like, well, are you a motorcycle dyke? Are you a lipstick lesbian? Are you, you know... Or do you really and and or you know from then it's like okay you know like are you gay are you straight are you bi or do you just like people and whatever genitalia they show up with you know okay well let me ask and, you this since you brought up you brought up categories right but I wanted to I just can I just say yeah. the same way in publishing unfortunately people have to know what kind of book you're writing so if you say well there's romance in it and horror in it do you say it's a horror with romantic elements, like you have to be able to tell them so they're comfortable. Because if they're not, they they just can't figure out what to do with you. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to because I'm thinking, okay, so say you write this great, you know, mystery novel, mm-hmm. and just happens that the main character is a lesbian, you know, whatever lesbian police detective. Let's do, you know, let's really go with the trope. Um, does that mean that it's LGBT fiction or does it go under mysteries? Well, because you know, if you've been in a bookstore, they have all these new placards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there comes a point where it's like, it's just, how about it's just a great story? Yeah. You know, but you can't, you know, I understand the problem because, you know, I'm also in the business. So, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, it doesn't matter to me. Look, I've got to, if you're my client, I have to know how to sell you. In the same way, uh, I'm all over the place. But when I was a professional actor, you had to know what your type was. In other words, I'm not going out for the 20-year-old girl parts because I am, I'm 51 years old, I'm six foot three, and I'm a guy. And I'm not going to play Juliet unless somebody is doing a very different kind of version of that story. (laughs) So it wastes people's time and pisses them off if I show up for things that I'm not right for, right? And so knowing my type is a lot like knowing my brand. So I'm sort of like, you know, I'd like to think of myself as Jeff Goldblum meets Alan Rickman. I know that makes me sound pretty high on myself, but just (laughs) get this sense of, like, funny and dark and that kind of size person, big nose, chewy, whatever. Um, <laughs> urban, but not urban like, you know, black guy urban. I'm Jewy urban. So, <laughs> urban Jew. <laughs> yeah. Tall Jew. So, like, you know I'm not going to be in a cowboy movie, right? Unless there's some humorous element to it. Like, you know. So, all right. So, knowing that as an actor, let's, try, let's move that to knowing yourself as a writer. You, you know, are you a mystery writer? Um, or are you an LGBT author? And I don't, I think, quite honestly, it would depend on how you tell the story. How important is it to the story that Sam, I like her being called Sam, by the way, she's Samantha, but... I think that sounds great. Yeah, so she's Sam. So, like, you know, is the fact that she's a lesbian, like, really the main focus? Or is this, like, a cool mystery that just happens to have a lesbian detective? And, you know, like, like, let me back up a little bit. Um, the person who I really got me my entree into the publishing world and my high school best friend, Suzanne Brockman, New York Times bestselling author, started out writing straight-ahead romances for Harlequin and Silhouette and 
you know, those type of category romances. For those of you who don't know what a category romance is, there are those books that come out once a month and then they leave, um, as opposed to other types of romances which hit the shelf and stay there until they're bought or explode or whatever. Um, but in any event, um, she started writing just straight-ahead romances, but then wrote series, books, and then ultimately created a team of Navy SEALs. And then after all of that sort of thing happened, she introduced her first openly gay character, who was an FBI agent named Jules Cassidy. And for some people, by the way, the first openly gay person they ever really met was this fictional character. Um, now, did that make the books that he showed up in gay books? No. But I'll tell you that people who wanted LGBT stories would probably really want to read her books because she had a real gay guy, and he wasn't just, like, the best friend who helped somebody pick out their shoes. Right. Or said, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, knew, the, knew which show tune was which from, from which show. Or, you know, fill in the appropriate gay trope. Um, you know, he was a guy who, like, you could count on him. He had your back in a tough situation. He knew how to use a weapon, no pun intended. Right. And then at night, he might go out to a gay club and try to pick up a guy or try to get in a relationship. Or, you know, and ultimately, a lot of cool things happen to Jules in the series of her books. Um, now, so the question is, well, I, she's not writing a quote-unquote LGBT book. She's written a... Uh, you know, uh, suspense, a, a, a romantic suspense that has a gay character. Now, if we turn to somebody, a friend of mine who I don't represent, Damon Swade, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he had a really big selling ebook, I think it was just ebook, called Hothead. Um, and I don't want to give away spoilers, but let's just say there's firemen in it. Okay. And it's not, I mean, it's erotic, but it's not an erotica. And it's the story, it's the story of men, and there's women in it, and there's gay relationships. Now, I don't know if that's just an LGBT book. I mean, I think Damon would argue it is. I don't know if his, how his agent feels and how they market it and whatnot. It, it's hard, you know, like there's no checklist that I have or anybody else has that says this is a, an LGBT book. Unless, I mean, very specifically, if you're dealing with erotica, you have to let people know, because people who pick up an erotica and want to have it be hetero, and it's gay, they're going to be disappointed. And, and you know what? They're entitled to be disappointed. I do not want anyone forced to read what they don't want to read. But that's not cool. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't, like, if I walk in and I want chocolate and someone gives me vanilla and says, that's what you have to have, that's disappointing. Um, so, I, as I often do, I find myself, like, wondering where the hell was I going with this? Just that it's hard to, to categorize. Just the categories, yeah. I mean... they're not clear. Because I know, like, what typically happens in, in comics when we're pitching our story, because especially when you're, you know, you're not, you're not working on Batman, you know, so nobody might know who your characters are. Okay. And it'll be, it's this meets this. You know, it might be Western supernatural thing. So it's like, you know, uh, it's Unforgiven meets, you know, Buffett Vampire Slayer. Um, so I love it. Here's $10,000. Yay! 
Hey, I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sad that that's rich to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad that I don't have $10,000 to do. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, you know, so it's... That's sort of that's sort of like a way that's really really common, at least in comics, to pitch and then to get new readers. Um, in fact, one of my writer friends, Paul Story, was just complaining. He's like, "Why do we do this in comics? Where we're like, oh, if you, why do people think that? Oh, if you read this, then you're going to automatically love this thing." And I'm like, "Well, I think people are being more specific. They're not just saying, look at the comic. If you like Batman, you're going to like DMZ." Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not going to necessarily like Saga if you right. know you, if you read exactly. Spider-Man. I, I like Iron Man. Well, like like Bone. Like, well, yeah. it's very different. I, I understand where you're going, and so I, I think ultimately, it's like anything else. It, it can be used to help or to hurt you, and I think that you know a thing that an artist, and I'm assuming artists and writers are listening. What they need to do is they need to take charge of the process and not be victimized by the process. So it's probably better off if you start off by creating your own box first. Now, I know that seems a little weird, but if you can do like you said, and people pitch to me all the time all sorts of projects and say it's this meets that. That, you know, it helps me a little bit because I know, first of all, if they do it in movie terms, then it definitely helps me. For a literary agent, I know much more about film than any other medium. Um, but it, it can be helpful, you know? If you just say it's the story of this girl on a journey, well, okay, that's a lot. Is that Dora the Explorer? <laughs> <laughs> um, is, it a, is, is, it a, is it the, you know, the Odyssey, but only the women instead? Or like, so it, it can be really helpful if you do it right, no doubt about it. What's harmful or limiting is when you don't do it and somebody pushes you into a box, you know, if somebody, um, I'm trying to think of a situation where that might have happened, but, you know, if someone says, I know how we'll sell your thing best, let's make it this, I mean, that goes, that goes to my philosophy of agenting, by the way, to bring this all the way back to something more about me. Um, sure. My philosophy of agenting, which is, and I talk about this on Twitter all the time, and it's on my Twitter profile. You know, I listen, and then we figure it out together. I think that it's important for artists and writers and performers to own their career and use their representation as the experts they are, but they still, like, you should never say, well, my agent told me I had to do this, so I fucked myself. Or, you know, or this guy screwed me because I listened to him. No, no, the... The thing is, you're in charge of your career. You have to educate yourself. But then you use your experts well. You get the information. But ultimately, the decision is yours. You know, if you go to your CPA, here's a great example. I don't know if you have this experience. You know, I have a great accountant. And when we do various things, you know, he tells me my options. But I'm the guy. It's like, what is your comfort level? You know, do you want to really push it to the edge? Do you want to be super safe? How do you... And then you make a decision, and you live with it, and you own it. Um, I think you have to do that with your career. So if you think, like, you know what, screw it, I want to be known as an LGBT author, and I write, uh, you know, mysteries, but it's these are lesbian mysteries, then you and I have that conversation. I, I would be honest with you. I'd say, look, I think that you're going to have a much more limited career doing that, but if that's your thing, 
then let's make the most of it and let's let's go where the lesbians read or where people who want to read that and go with a mystery as opposed to pushing it as a mystery and then your mystery with the lesbian is up against Janet Ivanovich or you know Grisham or whatever you, you know what I'm saying right I, I don't know if that makes sense it sure feels like it does to me but like I said earlier I'm medicated um, <laughs> well, if anybody has any questions, of course, they can find you and, you know, oh, hey, yeah, can I, you clarify that thing that you said that day? <laughs> I, I will tell you this. I often do ask agents and I, tr- I sometimes just wander in there and, you know, for the hashtag or I'll announce a couple of days ahead of time uh, that I'm doing it and what time. And because Twitter is so worldwide and I do have international clients literally in Grenada, in Australia, um, I specify the time (laughs) where I am in the United States and the day. What sometimes, uh, my little pet peeve, by the way, is when people retweet an old tweet of mine saying, I'll be an Ask Agent on Friday. Yeah, Yeah. I posted that in May. Like, don't do that. I don't know why people do that. And then people are really pissed at me that I wasn't there. It's like, of course, I was there back in May. So now what I've done, I don't know if you've noticed, is I post the actual calendar date I'll be there. You know, I say on July 20-whatever, I will be in Ask Agent Tour. And another thing I do is called 10 Queries, where a hashtag 10 Queries written out as one word, T-E-N, Queries. Um, And what I do is I, in a very generic way, describe a query that I got and why I do or don't want to to know more. I'll either say pass or I ask for more. And I'll do something, I'll put Q1, Q2 for the query. I'll, I'll try to give a short a little uh, description of what kind of genre it is, you know, mystery, romance, whatever. And then I'll talk about what it's about, but in a very generic way because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Sure. So if something is just like, you know, if I say 200,000 words is too much, I don't want to reveal who it was and then have them feel like they were ridiculed. I want this to be a learning experience for everyone. Um, and and by the way, despite what anybody may think, I am not into anything for being cruel. Um, cruelty just isn't cool. Um, it's to make well, that's a, it's sort of <clears throat> it's a it's a team effort. If and I own you, I can be cruel to you, but only if you enjoy that. And that's all of the conversation. That's the whole, yeah. We can always circle back around to that. Um, the, but it is, it, it's one of those things where when you've found an agent and then, and obviously different, there's, I guess it sort of like depends on which sort of publishing house you land in. Um, even the PR people, like different people do different things for you, but nonetheless, it's a team effort. And unless you are literally typing it out yourself, uploading it to create space yourself and doing your own PR and you're completely 100% um, self-published, somebody helped you along the way. Oh, i got to tell you, and you just made me say, like, there's, nobody does that. I don't care. Even the people who say they did it all by themselves, they're full of shit. And they, I, I've seen and talked with some really amazing self-pub people, I have nothing against self-pub, by the way. I have clients who are self-pubbing or considering self-pubbing, and it may be the absolute correct thing for them to do for a variety of reasons. And I'm jumping on you, and feel free to tell me to shut up. But 
the self-pub is not about saying, fuck you, you don't understand how smart I am. That self-pub is really, in my opinion, about uh, specific projects or if you have a track record and, I mean, the, the problem, uh, and this is more complicated than I'm going to probably begin to get into. Well, we can do, we but, can do a whole show on, on self-publish oh, uh, or not. Right, but I, but I will say this. If you have a project that you like and you have gotten rejection after rejection from editors and agents, and it may be that the project isn't ready, that you haven't had the right edits, that it may be there's no audience for it because of a variety of reasons. Um, Self-pubbing may not be the thing to do, or, or it may just be you have yet another vampire story and it's not different enough that it would rock everybody's world at a time when we're full of vampires. And the answer may be to shelve it, and some people hate that, but to, to shelve it and do something else, have some success there, and then bring your vampire story back when you have a name that will be able to launch it. Um, but a lot of times there's a reason why the quote-unquote gatekeepers are keeping you from publishing with a bigger place, and it's because it's just not ready, or it's not good enough, or the market is glutted with this particular dystopic YA about people who fight for their region. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of, I mean, I still get things that are practically the Hunger Games, and you know, unless it's written freaking amazingly, there's there's no way because it's been done and been done to death. So you got to be careful about that. Also, just you know, there's no way you can write a great book and do all those other things. There's just not enough time in the day, and you have to learn how to be good at so many things. I think you're much better off getting some people, hiring people to be great for you in some of these ways, like PR, social media, contracts, you know, all that stuff. So Right. And but talking about the you know, the notion of rejection, which is obviously a huge part of the process here. And this goes for comics too, not just you know, publishing it's in all your of novel. Children. It's all of yeah, oh God, I cannot I would never ever 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 be an actress. I had to go on auditions and be told no. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I did an open call once just to do it on a lark, uh-huh. and I was told no. And I was just like, and and, I, and it was like one of those things where it was like they, you know, they like look you up and down like a piece of meat, oh, yeah. and ask me to smile. And then I was told no, and I was thinking, oh my god, what's wrong with my smile? Well, here's the thing. I, I, as people may or may not know, I'm a professional actor too. I'm in all the actor unions. I've been in films, commercials. I've done print ads for Microsoft. I mean, I, I've had a lot of showbiz experience on that side of the table. And um, sometimes you get what's called type, typed out. So you go to an audition for a stage thing. I walk in there, and they'll ask you to do a dance move. If you can't do it, then you're just not going to be able to do anything, so they kick you out. Or they look at you, and I'm 6'3", and all of the other leads are 5'5". Five, five. And they just can't have me. I'm like the orange crayon that won't fit in. <laughs> so, gone. It doesn't have anything to do with how well I sing or act or any of that stuff. So, you have that experience. You also have the experience of, you know, going out for a commercial. I've done this. Um, I remember specifically, I had a commercial for McDonald's that I was up for. Up here in New England, I think I might have auditioned for it. 
they were bringing back the lobster roll. By the way, who eats a lobster roll from McDonald's? I don't know, and I don't want to get sued, but it's, <laughs> I personally think it's questionable. better off a lobster the roll. The McSushi. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I just, uh. So anyway, I, the way I knew I didn't get it was after the audition, a week or two went by. They don't tell you, by the way, most of the time as an actor. You're just watching TV, and you see the commercial you auditioned for, and you're not in it. So that's how you know you didn't get it. So you, it's... At the pro level, as an actor, a lot of times, you just don't get told you didn't get it. Um, and for me as an agent, if somebody sends me a query and it follows all my rules and it doesn't work for me, I send an email that I craft. And True, it's a form email, but it lets you know, thank you, but it's not right for my office. Um, there are some agents, by the way, who just, if they say, if you haven't heard from me, it's a no. no I, I just want to go out and say, I disapprove of that. I think it's bad etiquette. I think it's unprofessional. I'm sure there are some agents who are going to talk shit about me. It wouldn't be the first time. wouldn't be the last time. I've been an attorney for over 25 years. I have been a professional. I've been engaged in other, uh, let's just say, lifestyle issues where etiquette is important. I'll leave it at that. I believe in etiquette. I think that it is important and to not answer somebody is rude. That's my little spiel about that. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, but you can't take it personally, you know? And you can't hurt yourself with this stuff either. Sometimes, oh, the, the only time I don't answer somebody is when they don't follow my rules. And we were talking way back at the beginning about my submission guidelines. One of the biggest things for me is no attachments. It's not that hard to do. It says specifically to cut and paste your first chapter or your synopsis into my into your email. Right, and now, the reason for that is so that you don't like get any you know virus you yeah, know, virus things or other shit that I don't want. I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of crazy stuff that can happen, and I you know what? It just happens. Even today, somebody somebody's um, a good friend of mine, a good writer, uh, got their Twitter account hacked. All of a sudden, I got a DM from them. And it told me that they had real success losing weight. Well, first of all, this person is uh, an equestrian athlete, um, has never had a weight issue at all, and would never in a million years send me something like that. So I know they got hacked. So anyway, I just I get nervous about that stuff. Um, you just don't want it. So anyway, I just delete it. And part of it is because I feel you already broke your contract with me because you didn't bother to check out my submission guidelines. So that's just my little thing. But... Um, yeah, and anyway. but to feel to feel rejected, it's one of those things where one of the the bullet points I specifically wanted to bring up with you was J.K. Rowling and this idea that she <laughs> was published under this man's you know uh -huh. identity with a complete fake bio and yada yada yada. Mm -hmm. But that book, just like Harry Potter, had gone through rejections. Sure. Um, you know, one of my fears, by the way, is that I'm going to reject like a big, big, big seller. Yeah, you know. Like the, you know, the Beatles version or whatever, that I'm going to be the guy who said no to J.K. or the equivalent. Sorry, yeah. sorry, what? So, yeah, so it's what just happens? one of those things where, you know, you're you're crushed, whatever. It's now, a subjective if, business. If, can somebody resubmit after they've been rejected already? If they've made modifications, can they resubmit? Yeah, like, well, for me, you know, I can't answer for all agents because as much as I get along with many we don't have a club where we make all the same rules together. Yeah, you know, not even rules, Swiss agents. You don't even. <laughs> no, I mean we have we have 
I mean, some agents in the same agency even don't follow the, own, the same rules. So I don't know. I, I will say that there are some things we would all agree on, like we don't want to see something that says Dear Agent. Yeah. I will, by the way, still read. Some people will just delete it, but I'll still read because you never know. But um, if somebody if somebody submits something to me and I just give it a form, no thank you, what I don't want is the follow-up letter saying, can you tell me why you didn't like it? Because I don't have time to critique your work. That's a whole other thing, and I would charge for that, and that's not what I do. But if they were to then say, hi, I, like in an email, I sent this to you already, but I reworked it, blah, blah, blah. I, I personally would look at it, but I will tell you, you know, you better freaking wow me because you've already, I know that you sent it to me and I didn't like it. So now I better freaking like it. But I, I, yeah, I will look at it again. That That's me. I don't know about other people, but I will look at it again. Okay. So. Um, I, I should also mention, I'm, I'm not like other agents, and this is neither good nor bad. It's just what's so about it, in that I believe there are some people whose writing may not be as good as other people, but they have a show business quality about them that I think they will be more saleable, because I really do think of showbiz. So if there is an author who I think, and this doesn't mean that they're cute or busty or rugged or whatever, it's not that. It's There's a certain intangible, and you may think, well, but nobody ever meets that person. It's absolutely not true. More than ever, people know a lot about the authors, and you know they follow them on Twitter or on Facebook. They can still try to see them in various places. I think the personalities can make a difference, but also for me in working with someone, personality makes a huge difference because if someone is a great writer but a pain in the balls as a client, it's really hard to work with them. I've had that situation where you get the 500th email from the insecure, insane person or from the person who tells you that you talked them into a shitty deal, which is not the case. I never talk people into deals. Um, mm -hmm. at some, you know, at some point, um, it's like a bad relationship. And it's like, you know what, this isn't working for me. So I'd rather try to get as much information up front. Um, look, you've dated people. I, I know you've dated people. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to talk about who they are or what your experience was specifically. But, you know, you go on first dates, second dates, whatever, and you start to get to know somebody. Um, and even then, when you when you decide to move in with each other or get married, I don't care what anybody says. The dynamic does change a little bit. You made some kind of commitment. Gets a little more happening. So you want to know as much as you can before you make those kind of commitments. Um, what's weird about becoming somebody's agent is a lot of times it's like you get married and then you date because you know you read their work. You don't have a ton of time to hang out and talk because they're also sending their work to other people and they're like, oh, I love this book. I don't want, you know, so-and-so to rep them instead of me. I think I can sell this. So you make the offer, you try to, you know, or you try to feel them out um, and you make a decision, the two of you. And then later you find out, like, you know, they refuse to have their stuff printed on anything unless it's recyclable or recycled or you find out that 
you're the only man they talk to because they only deal with women, and would you mind speaking in a higher voice? Or, I'm, I'm making that kind of stuff up, right. but it can be that crazy, or it can just be that, you know what, they are crazy. I mean, well, first of all, let me say this. I'm crazy, too. I mean, you and I, Amber, sort of know each other a little bit. We've talked a couple of times, and we've interacted on Twitter. I will own my craziness. Um, but, you know, if your crazy works with my crazy, that's great. But when somebody's crazy doesn't work with my crazy, it's a problem. So, uh, where am I going with this? I, I think, think that, oh, I think it's, it's a, important for me that the personality has you to have work. To, yeah, the personality has to work. So it's not even just loving the script. It's loving that you are, because it's a whole, it's a whole package deal. Like, you know, this person is going to be going off to book signings, you would hope. And, you know, this person's going to be on social media, and you don't want them to suddenly, you know, be talking about killing kittens or whatever. Yeah, you know, let me, let me, this will be a little weird. We were talking about, um, Oh, maybe I shouldn't. Oh, fuck, can I open the door? Um, there are some people, let's just say, um, talking about erotica and BDSM. There's a lot of people who write that sort of stuff who don't know what they're talking about in BDSM because it's very popular, so they just decided suddenly they're going to write about BDSM even though they don't know anything about it, and they don't realize that the scene they're writing is kind of rape or assault. And it's yeah. Not, it's not sex, right? Yeah, it's not. Um, and... So other people in the industry who write credible, good stuff in that genre, you know, they get tarred with the feb. You know, tarred with the feather. What the hell was that? Tar- they get tarred with the same brush. Oh, paint it. Well, I'm, you know, I'm medicated. People, sorry. <laughs> they get, they get that. You know, they get hurt by those kind of writers. Or even on a very personal note, you know, let's say that you have a sub. I can't believe it. You have a sub who misbehaves in public, and, like, people know they belong to you. That's a reflection on you, right? Um, that's not good. Um, I'm told. I don't, how would I know? How, I'm just, yeah, I'm just I, a vanilla um, agent from, you know, New York. Um, but my point is that it's, um, what was my point? That it, as an agent, your clients often are a reflection of you, and vice versa. So, uh, you know, some agents get drunk at conferences and misbehave, and clients can and should be embarrassed. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but... Yeah, no, it totally does. It to- because, we, you know, we were talking about why it's, you know, it's not always just about the manuscript. You, you know, there's leeway if, um, you know, well, it's not the greatest thing you ever read. People, people have asked me, oh, so my manuscript has to be completely finished before you look at it. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. And then someone will send me something, and I'll be like, oh, my God, they're the greatest writer ever. I love it. And they'll be like, oh, my manuscript's not completely done. And so then I get to make a decision if my rule serves me. If it's like, sorry, go away and come back when you have a full manuscript. Or do I say, you know what? I think you're really great. I will sign you but you have to freaking finish this book. And I, you know, some I have signed people who weren't done because I know when they're done, it's going to be amazing. And it's really no big skin off of my nose because it's not like I'm working extra hard on their manuscripts with them because usually I'm not. I'm not trying to sell it yet, 
What I've done, though, is I've created a relationship with someone who appreciates me and knows that when it's ready, we're going to work on this together. And it's unconventional, but, you know, I think that there are some rules that I will not break, and there are some rules that I'm more flexible about. Another great example is I don't, I don't represent uh, inspirational romance. And an inspirational romance is sort of like a uh, very religious romance. It's not because I have an objection to it. It's just like, for me, I like romance that has sex in it and doesn't have two people talking to each other with Jesus in between them. Oh, I now, see. if people like that, God bless them, and they should read it and be able to buy it. But I'm just not the guy to sell that stuff. It's just not my forte. So, and I'm confident that if somebody sent it to me or I got a hold of it by accident and I read one and it blew me away, I'd represent it. So, you know, uh, I think that rules can be helpful, but sometimes they can be limiting, as opposed to other rules, which are, I will not, you know, I don't know, there's some rules that you just don't want to break because I won't do certain unhealthy things in my life, for instance, you know. I won't do um, certain unhealthy things in my business career. You know, I'm never going to, I can't think of one right now, but... um, so, like, would you, okay, yeah, here's, no, 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 here's one, because I know that you have restrictions on things like memoirs, so would you take yeah. something like the the Casey Anthony memoir? Oh, well, first of all, Casey Anthony is famous, so what I say on my memoir, what I say about that is you have to be a celebrity. A great example of that is I've had a couple of celebrity clients. Um, could you represent Anderson. somebody that, you know, you might dislike? Do, I'm, would I represent someone I dislike? Well, somebody like that. I mean, I don't know what you're... You know, I mean, no, you're, I haven't dated Casey. I, no, know, I, I know, but I mean, which, you know, if you... No, I can't. I, you know what? I wouldn't represent someone I dislike. I if can't. You, I don't want to look at the phone. If you believe that this person, like, did it. If you well, that's different. Okay. And, and got away with it, and that's now they have a memoir. That's no, not the same as dislike. And I... I yeah, just, I was just... just pull out. First of all, I've been a criminal attorney for a long time. I've represented a lot of people who have done a lot of terrible things. It doesn't mean there it doesn't mean that they're a bad person now. They may have done something bad in the past. And I you know, I have a whole very different spiritual thing going on in my life that, you know, people don't need to be burdened by my beliefs. But I'll just say this. I know there are people who've done things in their lives that I've done things in my life in the past that I don't want people to think I'm that person now. So it's possible I would represent people that other people don't dig. Let's put it that way. Here's a great example. All right, One of my favorite clients is Bailey J. Bailey J. is an award-winning porn star who's a transsexual. Okay, Bailey is one of the sweetest, most wonderful, intelligent, funniest people you'll ever meet. And she is fantastic. Some people don't like the fact that she is a woman who was born with a penis, okay? okay? Some people won't like the fact that she has had sex on camera for money. I could give a fuck. Bailey is, I dare, I'm, Bailey's a friend. I, honest, actually, Bailey and I talk about a lot of things that have nothing to do with this business. Bailey's a friend of mine. And I think there are, I know for a fact that there are people who probably would try to harm Bailey, and that's, A, that saddens me tremendously. 
But B, it's fucked up and it's whatever. But the bottom line of all of that is, um, I, I will, I'm so thrilled that I represent Bailey. Um, and, uh, I think that Bailey's going to be writing some amazing stuff. She's going to make a lot of money doing it. She wants to get out of the porn business by a certain age. I think it's a smart idea, and part of her process is retaining me to help her with that process. So I don't know if that really answers your question. I think, you know, it's, it could be also because I've been an attorney, I've represented I, some Yeah, I was going to say, I think that does make a big difference, the fact that you have represented some people with, you know, questionable I want to be clear any question, uh, like, Bailey's an awesome human being. I'm not equating Bailey to a criminal right. at all. And, and that's, like, yeah. fucked up. I'm really saying that some people view Bailey just because of who she is as bad in the same way that some people view me just because I'm a Jew or right. a liberal or well, a worker a certain way. But this is why, I, you know, I say Casey Anthony, because when I interviewed um, a, a producer and director of porn, and I... I Said, brought up Casey Anthony. I was like, oh yeah, she was like offered like a million dollars or something just for porn. He's like, he's like, it's deals like that that make pornographers sick. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I don't want that. That makes my industry look bad. Yeah, you know, there's all I can say is that I, I'm there's too many great things in my life. I don't need to pursue things that would make me feel bad. So I think. You know, if there was somebody I didn't like and there was a lot of money to be made, uh, there are worse things than not making money. You know what I mean? I'd let somebody else handle that. Um, for me, I really love being able to work with interesting people and really nice people and doing what I enjoy. You know, Here's another great example of something, by the way. Alex Jamison, who is no longer actually a literary client of mine. She's represented by another literary agent, but I represent her as an attorney, as an entertainment attorney. This is a woman who became famous because her ex-husband is Morgan Spurlock, and she was in Supersize Me, and she was the vegan chef. Right, exactly. Well, she stopped being a vegan. Now, you, like, okay, remember, again, liberal New York Jew growing up in the conservative Catholic place where I got chased down the street called the Christ killer or whatever. Oh, my God. oh yeah. But nothing compared to the vitriol that she got from vegans and vegetarians when she said, you know what, this doesn't work for me anymore. I occasionally eat meat or I do this. Oh, my God. You would think that she sacrificed somebody's baby in the middle of Times Square. I mean, death threats, horrible, mean things said about her. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of righteousness out there for who knows why. It's another part of show business. I mean, Amber, look at you. You you model, right? Right. And show your um, rather attractive body to various people. Um, and, by the way, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a nice one. But, uh, but the, also, like, there are people who... Don't like you for that. I mean, I don't know it for a fact, but I would bet you that oh, there sure. are people who don't like you for that. Yeah, and I, I, I have yeah. biological blood relatives who who are out of my life because of my lifestyle. So. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> they yeah, are. That it. So screw them. <laughs> yeah, but I want to like I want to bend over backwards again to go backwards and say like 
Um, I love Bailey. I didn't mean to like make it sound anything like she is the equivalent of something else. And I have a, I have many transsexual friends. Like this is like some, we discover more and more. There's like still groups that get to be um, marginalized as more and more barriers go down. It's like okay, well, gays can get married, and I have to tolerate Jim and Steve, but. No, not those people. I draw the line at, you know, chicks with dicks, or I draw the line at nude models, or, I don't know, I draw the line at liberal Jews. Whatever it is, they, like, you know, there's always going to be somebody to hate, and somebody to hate them, and it's not going to, you know, showbiz, one of the things I love about being part of showbiz is traditionally it is, in a good way, a permissive place. It's like, it's filled with artists and searchers, and lovers, not fighters, you know. And I think that um, I, I've joked around on Twitter that when I was younger, we didn't have any gay student clubs, and then I realized we did. It was called theater. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, that's you true. Know, we didn't have gay. we didn't have the gay straight alliance in my in, in my school. There, I didn't know what that was when I started. I'm I'm like, literally I'm I'm. Regardless of whatever I've done in my life, I didn't know there were like you know names and identities for these things. I just thought I was weird. Right, same here. And and without outing myself one way or another, because it's you know I don't, I'm not ashamed, but it's nobody's business what my life is about. But you know, let's just say that um, there, I, I, we didn't have gay people. We just had facts. Yeah. That was the way they looked at it. Yeah. Um. And also, if you grew up like I did, when you... Okay, I'm going to out myself with this. I have purchased pornography, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, no, oh, I'm sick. So anyway, when I was a younger guy and I bought porn and it involved both men and women, mm -hmm. um, it was bisexual porn. And when I purchased it, um, I thought, well, you know, I'm a pervert. And I'm sure there were plenty of people who reinforced that belief in me until I had a great realization. And my realization wasn't spiritual. It wasn't sexual. It was economic. I realized that if they made these magazines just for me, they were losing a lot of money because <laughs> I could not afford that many of them. Um, so, uh, you know, it's every... I had anything to say to anybody about anything, and you know, God bless you, Amber. You had me on. I have no idea how <laughs> you're going to edit this fucking thing. Oh, it would yeah. be like, just be kind to yourself. Like you're okay, you know. And and be, if you're kind to yourself, then you can be kind to other people and lighten up about what people are into or not into, as long as they're not hurting anybody. Um, well. If you're hurting somebody and they want to be hurt, that's a whole other subcategory. A whole different thing. But like, as long as you're not committing a crime, why don't we say yeah. it that way? Because that yeah. covers a multitude I, of issues. I think that's, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I'm sure some, some things are so questionable. Like, I'm, it's still... I don't want to go into age issues or animal issues. Yeah, no, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's still... You know, you're still allowed to be arrested for some of the things that... that uh, oh, well, you know, there's that too. Well, I mean, yeah, there's still sodomy laws on the books. Like, yeah, if I... You know, if I go to a gay club and then uh, we go home and we decide to have oral sex together. But how, by the way, how did they break in the door and say, we suspected you guys were blowing each other? Yeah. I mean, it's like, ah, uh, that's a oh. This is what's weird is that we studied these things as First Amendment cases in mass media law. 
By the way, I said below on your... Uh, you did. You did say below. Okay, sorry. So you studied this in mass media a lot. Yeah, but, and it was mainly, it was one of those things where we were, we were getting into issues of privacy, mm-hmm. and is it, you know, at what point is it private, and then we get into the whole, you know, if you're in the public eye, and that was a whole different time before the internet, so it wasn't, like, wasn't like now, where everything's in the public eye. I mean, right now, if you're tweeting pictures of your blowjobs, um, yeah, I mean, you've, yeah. you've removed any predisposition to think that you had privacy. Right, you have no expectations. <laughs> no expectations of privacy. That's, that's the legal catchphrase you're looking for. Yeah. But, you know, like, it's one thing if you're, like, if you're having sex in the backseat of your car, which is in some ways, this sort of quaint American tradition, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that happened, by the way, because sex in a car is when you're six three, and especially cars of today, it's oh. really difficult. There's a lot of leg cramping. Sure. Take my word for it. Um, but if you're having sex in a car, like it used, you know, in the fifties or sixties, someone would just knock on the glass and say, "Move it along." You would think. Now they want to see, like, okay, well, if they're gay, maybe we can beat the crap out of them and arrest them. I mean, like. I don't know. That kind of stuff just makes me crazy. You, you've got to be careful because also there's a lot of sex crimes. There's a lot of... And what happens is it's not just like, oh, you're two consenting adults. And even if you're, like, straight and married and, you know, let's say my wife gives me a Hummer in the front seat of my car and nobody can really see but a cop rolls by and he sees it, well, now we've got a public indecency charge, right? And that means that I'm going to have to register with what's called the Sex Offender Registry Board. And and people, depending on how they rate me in terms of how dangerous I am, they may have to tell my neighbors I'm a sex offender. Exactly. That was in in that comedy, Horrible Bosses, where the guy peeking... The guy got <laughs> public urination is an issue that you could end up being described as a sex offender, and so he had to be a registered sex offender. And it's just like, oh my god, I, he got you know fined for peeing. <laughs> no, and it's all because you know that's a whole other issue which has nothing to do with show business. But I don't know why I'm gonna people are gonna call you or hate me, but I don't know what's so scary about a penis or a vagina. I really don't. You know, if you're very religious, yeah. I don't know why God created the penis and vagina. It wasn't just to scare you, though. I'm confident. There's far <laughs> scarier things in the world. Like, all you have to do is go on the BBC online and see anything about any wars happening in Africa. Far more scary to me than somebody's penis or vagina. There, I said it. I said there. It. Oh, oh, my God. But, um, at, you know, t- to take it to show business, let's go back to that, um, when it comes to writing and these books... There, you know, people want to read about sex, and they want to read about people who are like them, and they also want to read about people who are not like them. By the way, wasn't that an awesome segue? It Thank was. You did um, <laughs> real good segue, King. But people, you know, for all of the talk that this is terrible or blah, 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 people are buying these books a lot. You know, in the same way that, we see all of these, you know, Republicans speaking out about gay marriage, blah, 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 and then you find out um, two years later they come out as gay, you know? Um, I don't know what it is about people and shame and guilt, but I think one of the things I'm happy about being in the industry I'm in is that we're slowly getting people to see things in a new way so that maybe there's a little less shame, a little less guilt. I mean, you have Ellen. 
Ellen DeGeneres has one of the most popular shows on television. There are people watching her on TV who would probably say, I'm, I don't like them lesbians, but I do like Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, right. you know. Or that, <laughs> or that, you know, it's just like the marriage thing. Like, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be married, but they want girl-on-girl porn real bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and what's funny is, oh, God, you know, this is my problem. I'm too honest. Um, <laughs> they want a certain kind of girl-on-girl porn. Yeah. They don't want more realistic girl on <laughs> Exactly. Because they'd be like, well, that's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like when I used to watch the, when the L Word was on, um, there, every lesbian was a cover model. And don't get me wrong, I have some very beautiful lesbian friends. But there's a lot of lesbians who are not cover models, just like there's a lot of gay guys who don't have six-pack abs. Yeah. Now... You know, I'm always convinced that they all do, and I'm the only guy who might walk into a gay club who doesn't. Um, but, you know, uh, that's my own fear and shame. But, um... Just like God, when we go I'm, anywhere. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I do cosplay. I am constantly right. fretting. Well, first of all, my biggest problem is like, wow, none of my costumes fit anymore. But then if I do bother to put on enough layers of Spanx and get them on uh-huh. um, and hold my breath while the picture's being taken, it's like, you know, I, when's the first shitty-ass comment going to come up on, you know, uh-huh. and you, And I know some of the most beautiful cosplayers in the world. Friends in common. Yeah. I have a client, Leela Quinn. You know Leela? Yeah, I know Leela, of course. So Leela, besides being like 5'10 and ridiculously beautiful and one of the nicest people on the planet, um, is does cosplay. Um, But I I fear for her, if somebody touched her, I'd have to kill them. Um, Just because she's my client and my friend. But another person, Karina, do you know Karina Cooper, who's a really... Yeah, well, I've been following, yeah, I've been following her on Twitter. She wrote a great piece, and I recommend all listeners look for her site. She wrote a piece about how cosplay people don't have to take that crap. And how when she met me, by the way, she thought I was a perv. (laughs) It was completely, I'll tell this story real fast. Um, She said, you have to be careful not to accuse people wrongly. We were both at a Romantic Times convention in Chicago last year. Which Romantic Times Book Lovers Convention is a convention for writers and readers and agents and industry professionals. So Karina is a very attractive young woman. and She's, I, I don't know how to describe her. She looks kind of funky and fun. She does a lot of steampunk stuff. Uh, but she was in business attire when I met her, as was I, because um, we were at a convention. I had my, we all had our tags on. Well, at the same convention where we were, there was a whole bunch of businessmen, and apparently they were being inappropriate to romance writers, or at least hitting on them all the time. And I think Karina had been hit on quite a few times. I'm pretty confident she's married, and she just didn't want to play anymore. She had enough. And so, sure enough, we're both at the elevators. I'm going on the elevator because I just want to go back to my room. She thinks, I guess, that I'm stalking her. And um, so I'm behind her, and I say, hey, how you doing? And she's like, ugh. You could, like, I could see her eye roll, even though I couldn't see her eye. Oh, no. And I heard sort of that sigh of, oh, this is going to suck. And I said, how, you know, are are you a writer? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, she just, like, wanted to get rid of me. And and I said, oh, do do I know? And she goes, you know, I'm not famous. And she's like, she's really funny. And she laughs about it in her piece. 
um, about how rude she was being to me, and I, I love her, and I'm not saying she's a rude person, but, so at some point, she's like, you know, you wouldn't know me, blah, 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 and I was like, oh, well, I don't know, because I, you know, there's a lot of people I don't know, blah, blah, and somehow, she, like, turned around, and, and she's like, are you, what, are you some kind of salesperson, or whatever, and I said, no, I'm an agent, I'm American, she looked, and she saw that I had my agent badge, and she it looked up, and it was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> she's like, I was just really rude, not by the way she's represented, and not by me, and my great people, whatever. But still, it was really awkward and funny, and we joke about it, and actually, we became really good friends because we met that way. Um, and my point is that there are, you know, sometimes it's just nerd guys who've never seen a really pretty curvy girl before. And, you know, just be, by the way, I just want to say this as an aside, Amber, just because you don't fit a certain type of beauty doesn't mean you're not beautiful, and this is not that bullshit answer. Like, you're a curvy girl, right? Can I say that? A curvy woman? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that is not undesirable. Okay? I'm not hitting on you through the internet. I'm just saying. It may not fit some people's pictures, but it may absolutely fit other people's pictures. But anyway, back off of that for a moment. Um, just, you know, there are some guys, they're just like, they think you look great and they don't know what to do, but they're not going to touch you. You don't have to preemptively tase everybody. <laughs> but you are also entitled to respect. Just because you put on a Batwoman costume doesn't mean that you are trying to prostitute yourself. You know? And I think it's I think it's just... <sighs> the problem is society. It's not nerd guys and nerd girls or... It's just society. But going back to what we said earlier, it's a really screwed up society where we're like, hey, check this out. Oh, no, you're bad. You check this out. I... I I know we're all over the place and we probably talked for a long time. I'll just say this. I I live near a pretty well-known shopping mall. And, of course, when I'm in New York, there's lots of shopping everywhere. But when I'm up here in New England, which I live in half the time, there's a shopping mall, and there are these girls who walk around the mall wearing uh, sweatpants that say juicy across their oh, ass. Oh, God. Yeah. Just, like, I hate those. That's, okay, but there are some young women who have very attractive behinds, and they say, literally say juicy on them. And Some of them are 14. Well, that's the, here's the problem. <laughs> I look at them, right, and my eye gets caught on it, and then my mind, by the way, I don't know how old they are, right. and I'm not going to stop and say, excuse me, how old are you? I want to see if I, you know, it's okay that I look at you, or I should report myself to the authorities. You know, I'm, I'm just looking, right? But, on the other hand, it's like, who, who got this to happen? Like, somebody sold, their, their parents bought them, let them go out in it, or they're turning it up to 11 because they're young and they're playing with the notion of what it is to be attractive or to get attention, you know? And, like, I, I'm looking. Now, I'm a responsible adult, so I look and then I turn away, and, you know, I don't, I don't try to get their phone number. <laughs> inappropriate like that. But, you know, every... And I, this is not a blame the victim thing. I'm just saying that it's kind of a screwed up culture because, you know, am I supposed to feel bad? Uh, like, if I'm in a relationship during that time, I think it's acceptable for me to sort of be strangely excited as long as I take it home to my relationship and then 
do the legally appropriate thing at all. Right, and right? well, because we were talking about like being on the you know the the sex offender registry for like benign things like being with the person that you know in your own private house, um, well. but you know it's just it's so crazy how that gets turned around. Like there was this you know uh, cosplay shoot of Lara Croft costumers and some guy was a complete raging douchebag to them and one of the girls was young and I will say girls because yes the rest of them were women in their 20s 30s whatever but the one was a teenager and this guy was a douchebag and was saying something about their chest sizes or something yeah. and it's like you know buddy you, you know to, to, maybe we should like have our own like comic con douchebag registry at this point. <laughs> you should have to be stamped on your forehead if you have been an asshole in a, in a previous Yeah, I, I hear you, man. You know, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't. I think that, unfortunately, into each life, some douche must fall. <laughs> and I think, you know, part of the problem is also this is a culture that treats women like shit and doesn't value them and... Um, you know, this will be unpopular and bad and wrong. And some, you know, sometimes women do stupid things. I, but guys, you know, there's no excuse for inappropriate behavior. I mean, I can't, I, you know, I'm not going to... Really, there is there's only one cause of, of rape, and that's rapists. I mean. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, oh, please, yeah. I'm not starting that conversation. Yeah. Um, I understand that. Yeah. No one ever asks for it. Yeah. No, I, I'm like, oh, please. But there's douchebag behavior. There is. Remember, you know me. I wasn't doing that. I oh, yeah. No, no, I know you. But, yeah, no, there's. When it comes to saying inappropriate things, you know, uh, I, I think it's just some guys are raised badly and some guys are just stupid. Um, I, I, I'm, I can't speak for all men. I don't want to speak for all men. No, and all women are different. There are some women who might have thought, you know, the guy's comment was funny. Yeah, I know. It's just really, it's you know, you just. I, guess. I hear you. I, I hear you. I mean, well, I mean, because I've never, I haven't been to any of the literary cons. I was just, in fact, looking them up today. I was looking at a bunch of literary cons, and they're like so much more expensive than Comic Con. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm just like, oh geez, looks like I'm not going. Um, well, we should have a conversation offline about what might be appropriate and not appropriate in terms of what you could go to, what you could afford, what might be worth your while, why you'd be going. I yeah, because there's, um, you know, because unfortunately, NoirCon, which is close to me, um, is one of the more expensive ones, and they go, they uh, do every other year. So I couldn't make last year, so that means they aren't even having one this year. And then VoucherCon is the one that I hear everybody talking about. And I know yeah. there's, like, Mystery Writers of America and Sisters in Crime, and I, you know, so, I mean, obviously, like, sci-fi and fantasy writers have a gazillion conventions, but, right. you know, I'm, I would specifically be more interested in, like, you know, a Mystery Writers show. Is your stuff, oh, really? Is that for writing, or? yeah. I just feel more energized when I, you know, sort of, I, I, I think just get, get around people. Like, there's a really, other than, other than Comic-Cons, and you don't workshop at those things. Well, let me, let me, this is an interesting side note here. Um, I have been in a variety of aspects of show business. Um, I will tell you that, specifically, I've been an actor, most, and I've also most been a literary agent, and I've worked for writers as a business manager before I became an agent. 
I am still amazed at how great most writers are to each other and supportive of each other, and specifically romance writers, but mystery to some degree, too. Um, look, there's always going to be assholes in everything who don't want to play nice with other people, but writers seem to be extremely supportive, especially there's people on Twitter, and I know you know this, who really help each other out. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think going to a place where you can network with other writers in person and attend a couple of workshops there is invaluable. The friendships you make, the education that you get is incredibly important. And then if you can get to pitch to somebody in person, be it an editor or an agent, that's also incredibly valuable. Because, you know, for me, as I said earlier about how I want to know that our personalities mesh, I get a lot out of a of face-to-face with people. I can tell in a face-to-face that it's not worth reading somebody's writing because they are just nutsy, crazy cuckoo. <laughs> and they could, you know, and I've passed off people to other agents just knowing this person's not right for me. And vice versa. That's one of the times when it's really great to have agent friends who you can pass uh, certain people on to for a variety of reasons. Another might be, like, I have, you know, let's just say I have three historical romance writers. I'm not going to take on a fourth um, unless they're a New York Times bestseller, you know, or something like that. But I can talk to, let's just use, you know, Donna Bogdazarian, um, who used to be at William Morris. She runs Publication Riot Group, a friend of mine. Or, you know, uh, somebody like, you know, Bookalicious Pam, who... Pan Van, blah, 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 I don't, I'm never going to pronounce her name right. <laughs> Sorry, Pam, if you ever listen. Or Laura Brad, or any of the many great agents out there who I'm sort of friendly with. You know, there's this loose confederation where we also get along with each other and talk about stuff. We also talk to each other about the crazy queries we get, and we're like, oh, just in case, look out for this person, because, woo. Anyway, I keep I keep going down these pathways with you, and I have no idea That's where. That's all right, I'm going. but see, those are my favorite conversations. But I do have one question. But other people are listening. Like, here's the problem. Like, Amber, you and I, like, this would be a great like. Let's hang out, have a beer, and talk all night. Well, I don't know what you drink, but you know, some you you like things with apple stuff in them and yeah. whatnot. Like, I, I could have a beer. I, I rarely drink, but. I'm saying we could hang out and talk and talk and talk, but my concern is that people who listen will be like, wow, you know, Amber's really cool. Why did she have that rambling asshole? (laughs) (laughs) You know, even agents can be insecure. Oh, you're so self-deprecating. Oh, that's a nice word for what I But But no, I did post, um, you know, like a few days ago, I said, hey, I'm going to be talking to um, Eric Rubin. We're going to be doing basically like this ask agent sort of a thing. So does anybody have any questions? And so one of my artist friends who, um, he has done one children's book, but he wanted to know what the best places for illustrators to meet agents would be. Wow, you know, that's a great question. I I don't know. I have, I do not represent picture books. I tried at one point. Um, I had a guy who was a syndicated cartoonist. I just, I had no luck, and I really went to quite a few publishers with it, and then I went to an agent who specialized in it and just didn't love the guy's stuff, so I was kind of barking up the wrong tree. That doesn't answer your question, though. Um... I would say, you know, barring anything else, BEA, for some reason, that's the Book Expo of America, um, it it couldn't hurt to at least go there for one day, and I don't know what their passes are like, 
that kind of thing. It, it couldn't hurt to go to Book Expo of America, wander around the places that do picture books, and see who is there from editorial. Um, for you know, for people who might not know, um, not everybody who works at a publisher is an editor, and not everybody who's an editor is an acquiring editor. So, and not all of them attend BEA, but. A lot of editors do go to BEA because it's just one of those things where editors do show up. It's not just publicity and marketing people. You know, some places it's really about hawking the books more and it's just publishers, uh, just marketing people or PR people. But I think BEA would be a good thing and they should scope out ahead of time who's going to be at BEA who does picture books. You know, like Abrams does a lot of that stuff, just off the top of my head, Abrams Publishing. Um, and the way to learn a lot about that is to go to one of the remaining bookstores <laughs> <laughs> and literally go and look at the picture books that you think are cool and see who published them and, you know, do your homework that way. It's pretty straightforward. Another another thing, it, it may seem a little odd, are uh, Comic-Con, especially New York Comic-Con. And the reason New York Comic-Con is because it's easier for the New York publishing people to say, screw it, um, give me a pass, I'm going to go down for half a day. It's not like San Diego. San Diego, the publishers have to pay their people, put them on a plane, put them up in a hotel. Right. It's very expensive for them. If you go to Comic-Con, they tend to share passes. You know, they'll run back to the office with a pass and throw it in another guy and or gal and they'll show up. Um, I'm talking about, you know, the bigger places. New York Comic-Con, of course, you have publishers from all over the world will show up. And I do mean literally all over the world. But you'll still get a chance to talk to some people. And even if you don't get to talk to the acquiring editors there, they, you can talk to the marketing people who you can give them a card, you can take their card, you can get some information. You know, at any of these cons, it's very, very unlikely you can make a deal happen. But at least you can meet people. And that's another important thing about show business in general and publishing specifically. And one of the things that makes me a successful agent is networking. Knowing that you want to meet people, that you love this business, that you love people, and you just want to meet people, and accumulate a Rolodex. <laughs> That's a word that nobody knows. <laughs> I remember those oh. stupid little cards. <laughs> right. You, you know, having a large group of people that you know is really valuable. And someone like myself, one of the things that makes me valuable is the relationships that I have or are the relationships I have. And um, the more people you know, the better off you are. And it's not about getting to know them so you can get something from them. And someday we should do a show on networking because that's like... I would love to do a show focused on networking. Um, yeah, if you throw that in, I'd happily talk to you because that's one of the skill sets I have and one that I think is crucial for everyone. Uh, but in any event... Even if you just go to networks, you can get to meet more people. Comic-Con is great. BEA is great. And they're both New York things. Um, so you're going to have people from the industry that are going to be there. That's awesome. Well, thank well, you for, for, the, for even contemplating the answer. Oh, I, Amber, I'm here for you. Aw. And your listeners. No, I mean that. You know, i got to tell you that it, part of my beliefs, um, I'm going to get all heavy on people. Yeah. You know, if you're not, if you're here for just you, I think you're missing a lot. 
and I don't mean here on this radio, although that's true. If you're here on this planet and it's just about you, you're missing out on a tremendous experience. I think that we're all here to serve uh, in some way or capacity, and so part of my service is fun. I get to talk to interesting, fun, and dare I say attractive people like yourself, and hopefully share something that might be of value. So, you know, absolutely willing to do it anytime. Yeah, it's what you know. It's one of those things where when I was talking to uh, you know one of the other writers, Dwayne Swierczynski, who's been on the show, went down to one of his book signings, and uh, you know was saying something about how I hate my voice, and and he was like, "Well, it's really weird that you do podcasting," and I'm like, <laughs> "I just love talking to people. I'm like, I love interviewing people that I find interesting. So it's one of you know whatever I can I can deal with." the fact that I don't like my voice, but, you know. You have a great voice, by the way. Let me just say, as somebody who's done voice work professionally, me, I've done audio books, and I've done um, some living museum type stuff, like uh, the, the Constitution Museum in Philadelphia. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Um, like, I know voice stuff. Like, you have a fine voice for this kind of thing. It's interesting. Like, sometime we should talk offline about what is wrong with you that you don't get. <laughs> 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 yeah. And, and I also know professional voice doctors, if you will. It's like you think, like, well, I have this thing in my voice I want to get rid of or whatever. I mean, there's all, you know. I know Juilliard people. I mean, but I don't think you need that. I, I think... I think you are being hard on yourself. Oh, thanks. My my former theater professor from college would be very happy to hear that he did properly beat the Jersey accent out of me. Oh, but it, it comes out. It comes out when I start you're getting... tired? When I'm, I think, either drinking or when I'm mad. Oh, it that's when I... Definitely I when out. I'm mad or, let's just say, at the height of intimacy... Okay. Island, which is a very strange time for my Long Island to come out because I was <laughs> very unsexy. Um, but I have a really strong bridge and tunnel accent, which I hope doesn't come across while I'm talking to you. Um, but I grew up in Massapequa Park, Long Island, and it was very much like that character Coffee Talk. Oh, my goodness. That was the way I talked, you know, on the floor with a, a little bit of hot chocolate and, and mumbly and, you know... I had to learn how to enunciate because yeah. I had to do commercials. So just like you, we've trained out of it. Sometime you and I will have a couple of drinks. And we yeah, will, we will do this. I can't wait for you to move to New York. <laughs> well, as I said, I'm there a lot. It's just it's going to be a full-time move. But, uh, right. But let me tell you something. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks. Good. All right. Well, okay, let's remind everybody where to find you. Um, again, on Twitter, it was Ruben Agency. What about the website was Ruben Law? Oh, yeah, well, either you, you can, well, it's, you know, the Twitter is at Ruben Agency, and it's R-U-B-E-N. Um, they can just go to www.therubenagency.com. So, again, it's R-U-B-E-N, um, because both therubenagency.com or rubenlaw.org will get you to the same website, but just therubenagency.com is probably easier for people to remember. And if they just go to my website, they can link at my Twitter there. Oh, I do want to remind people that even though there is a link to my LinkedIn, don't yes. try to link up with me on LinkedIn. It's very that's a completely different ballgame. Don't pitch me on Twitter. Don't pitch me. Don't try to become my friend on Facebook. I'm sorry. I know that makes me sound mean and standoffish, but no, Facebook but is for the relatives that I don't want to talk to anyway. <laughs> and for my college and high school and law school friends, it's a completely different thing. Besides... Yeah. You know, 
it's really about Twitter right now. I think Twitter is the most happening place, and you get a lot of bang for your buck. I think if you want to talk to fans, um, you want to talk to your readers or fan base, Facebook is good, and make sure you get an author page so you don't have to personally friend everybody. That's a whole other episode to do about social media. I may or may not be the best person for that, but um, that's a, I mean, there's a lot to this business, um, and I think that if I want to leave anybody with one thought, you have to be passionate about it because there's a lot to be done. Um, if you are, if you're in this and you think it's just going to be something you're going to half-ass, you're you know that's not how success happens. You got to bring your passion and your A game, and any other uh, cliche you would like me to spell. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I do not envy you. You're going to listen to this, and you're like, I cannot edit this piece of shit interview. You just talk. It's not going. Yeah, no. You know, it's one of those things where I now have a really long drive, so I now appreciate long podcasts when before I didn't. I used to like half-hour shows, <laughs> and now I listen to things like Mental Pod, where it's like, you know, 90-minute minimum. Ooh, can I recommend some podcasts to people? Yeah, let's do that. I, uh, first of all, I love... I. The app that I use for my podcast on my iPhone is not the original app. It's called Downcast, and you pay a little more for it. It's like two ninety nine, but it's worth it. But in any event, I don't get any money from any of this, and <laughs> the only the only podcast I'm going to recommend that is my client's is the Bailey J Show, okay. and I will only recommend that to people who are rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. It's a, it's very much not safe for work. They talk about sex of all kinds, and they curse, and it's. It's funny and it's weird and smart, but it's not for everybody. So, and as I said before, Bailey J is a client of mine, uh, award-winning transsexual porn star. Okay, she's more than that, but that's just her podcast is pretty damn funny. All right, that's one. Uh, the Nerdist, which is oh, yeah, put so. um, Chris Hardwick, and the Nerdist Writers Panel. Oh yeah, so and that's got Matt Myra and um, John. Um, forget the shit, I'm Jonah, sorry. Jonah, Jonah Ray. Jonah Ray, who's funny and probably taller than me. <laughs> um, so that that's good. But for two very different kinds of podcasts, there's something called The Business, which is a radio show um, from KCRW, which is public radio in L.A. But unlike a lot of public radio, it's very much about show business, like inside ball show business. Today was a great interview with Guillermo del Toro, um, and the kind of insights you don't get from just the usual bullshit kind of interviews with show business people, you know. And you won't get it from reading Entertainment Weekly, which is still great, but like, so the business is good. And also, Elvis Mitchell, who is a great writer and interviewer, he does a show called The Treatment. Again, out of KCRW, which you can get as a podcast. Um, he interviews some amazingly interesting people. Uh, Mark Marin's WTF is still good. Um, he interviews all kinds of people. He used to just interview comics, but he also interviews a lot of musicians. He does live shows with interesting people. Um, those are some of the, I think those are the podcasts that I really dig as I'm looking here for show business stuff. I mean, there's some other things that are, you know, not show busy, but those, those are ones that I would recommend. Do you have any as long as I'm... 
Yeah, the, well, you brought up the Nerdist, and I listened to the Nerdist Writers panel as well. Um, but like I said, Mental Pod is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, and it's really deep and it's very personal. Every guest that's on there is spilling their guts about their baggage and their, you know, and, and it's it makes you feel less alone. Oh, talk about the crazies coming out. It is, and it's a joyous sort of celebration of oh my god you know, your life has been that bad and you survived. And some of them are remarkable stories. A lot of them are stand-up comics because Paul Gilmartin, the host, is a stand-up comic. So some of them are comics, and it's one of those weird things about how are these people that are so funny all the time this damaged? And it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Um, But one of the guys that was on recently, I mean, just this... This horrific, you know, journey about how he grew up being, like, molested by his older sister. And he's just, you know, he's had all the proper care and whatever in his life. That at this point, he's, like, happily married, three kids, stable. It's just, like, awesome. It's like, wow, you're my hero, buddy. It's just, you know, so it's, you know it's a great you, show. Getting help. Um, there's a lot of people out there who think they're alone. I think you do. You, what you just said is really valid. That um, you know, even people who listen to us, I, I will cop to the fact that I have a significant history of mental illness in my family, and getting help is crucial. Whether it's alcoholism or depression or narcotics, whatever it is, it's. I don't know what it is about show business. Um, I don't know if accountants have this much stuff going on. Software <laughs> engineers. Um, but I gotta tell you, man, a lot of people with a lot of trouble end up in show business. Sometimes for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's like, mommy doesn't love me. Will you love me now that I have an Oscar, mommy? (laughs) But sometimes it's just because creative people, you know, are just a little fucked up. Um, and, uh, so let me just throw out there that if you're listening and you're having a hard time, there's lots of people you probably have friends who are willing to help you out. Um, you're not alone. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people call me for help. <laughs> but, um, um, just, you know, before you do something you can't undo, you should, you know, see if there's other options. See, I like to end on a super heavy, depressing note, and then people think I'm important somehow. Oh no, I think that, super uh, upbeat note. <laughs> How about... Um, the fact that I'm going to be doing a 10 queries on Friday, which is going to be entertaining and fun on the interwebs, on Twitter. And I have clients who have books coming out. Um, there's a lot going on in showbiz. I will say this before I, I end on a happy note. A lot of people running around like, oh, publishing's over, it all sucks, we're all going to die and not get our books. <laughs> I think that, that they're just wrong. And I think that they um, you need to st- you know, hang out with the people who are still excited about what can happen. And uh, that's that's also a really important thing to do. Stay away from the people who think everything sucks. Try to find some people who are having fun, even if they're not, if they haven't gotten everything that they want yet. They're still successful, even if they haven't won every award. If they're doing what they love and they're having fun, I think that's really important. I think that's great. And thank you so much for having me on and letting me just talk at you for... I appreciate it. I appreciate your time because, I mean, you know, you're going through life transitions with eventually moving soon and you're not feeling well and, you know, I appreciate it. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. I, you know, you're a good time. And I awesome. do professionally. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to be one day. Aww. Little wink, wink. No. Um, fantastic. All right. Well, we've gotten your websites. Guys, don't forget you can follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter and uh, AmberUnmasked.com. Uh, if you're looking on Facebook, again, uh, there's a public page as Amber Unmasked. So please go to that and like that. Um, Google Plus is pissing me off because now they automatically log you into Hangouts. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't get the whole Google Plus thing. I mean, I have an account because I was terrified that I. They, they automatically that. gave you one anyway. If you have, if you had a Gmail, they automatically gave you one. I do. Yeah. So yeah, so that. But anyway, so yeah, Twitter is the best place as always. Um, so uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And guys, um, you know, don't forget to like leave ratings and comments and stuff because it's really helpful. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.